0: Alan Kring Productions in association with Emergent Light Studio presents the Illinois State Collegiate Compendium, Academic Lectures in Business and Economics. This is Business Finance, FIL 240 for Autumn Semester 2023. Welcome to uh, the Unusual Zoom session of FIL 240, Section Two is. Well, running this for about an hour, and uh, this is the first of the two sessions. In this one, I'll go over the basics of the exam, and then I'm going to <clears throat> take questions from you. And uh, by all means, this would be a good opportunity for you to cover uh, some of the uh, terms in that definitions list uh that i gave you and that's available in your files now as far as other information material is concerned you also have uh of course your spreadsheets and i'll try to be very specific about what i expect out of you on that and i'll give you some more heads up uh in just a little while for that bear with me here one moment while i try to get out of the way of that noise stuff in music all that but uh, I'll wait here just a few minutes So I can go ahead to go someplace else but again uh, I apologize for this rather unusual session but how it goes right now okay now okay first of all can you hear me okay with over that noise that's being made by that piano that's being piped all over this place just give me a heads up if you can still hear me good thank you okay now um first things first the final exam approximately 65 questions now i say approximately because there will be some that will be multi multiple part there will be a matching which of course always constitutes uh six or eight uh, for the final exam and then there will be some others that will have multiple parts to them as well so all counted together around 65. now uh, as far as what you have for the, um, what was I saying, for the resources for the exam. You Obviously, your computer and also your Excel worksheets. And I'll try to give you a manifest of which ones you should have open and ready to go that you don't want to find before uh, while you're doing the final. You should have them open uh, when you start the exam. Uh the exam is uh, two hours, and you will have your computer. It is, the exam is password protected and IP protected. So in other words, you would have to be in the building, uh, either in the classroom or down in the computer lab or someplace like that, to be able to, to do the exam, the final exam. And also, you will have all uh, available to you two four by six inch note cards front and back you have one that was used on the midterm and provided you didn't say, throw that one away you've got that material already taken down to a note card and then you have another note card for more uh information on it also you can have that financial uh, ratios uh, financial analysis formula sheet for your use as well Uh, like you did on the midterm exam. Uh, But also, i thinking that you you can have. Uh, Well, that's about it. But that should give you plenty of resources to work with for the final exam. Uh, Now, as far as the layout goes, it's just like the midterm exam. You'll have the general questions, true and false, multiple choice, and a couple of fill in the blanks. And then you will go to the parts that have the numerical questions in them. As far as numerical questions go, you should anticipate that I will uh, review revisit uh, mathematical questions from the midterm exam. You will also have a few that went beyond the midterm exam. Bond calculations came after it, but you have a quiz where you did those. And so you, the questions will be very similar, just different numbers. I will also put a stock screen on it, on the exam, just like I did on the midterm exam. That was very high scoring, as are all the numericals. That's one place where points tend to accumulate very well for you. And so those will have more point value just to ensure that you have the opportunity to get those and get good points. Um, back to the first part, uh, definitions, terminology, concepts, very similar to what I did on the midterm exam, more of them. You have a list of 116 that were, uh, words and terms that were covered during the semester. Pretty much all of them, except for a few lightweight, uh, that I didn't hit well enough to, to quiz you on. Any of the others, 116, would certainly be fair game on the final exam. I'm hopeful that you will review that sheet. And if you have questions, either during this session or on Wednesday, you will feel free to ask me about those. What am I thinking? Uh, Oh, multiple choice. I had some rather... Uh, a, a feisty feedback on the ones where check mark all the boxes that are appropriate. Some people didn't like those at all, so I won't do a lot of those on the final exam, maybe a couple, but that seemed to trip up more than a few people. Uh, trying to think. As far as the numerical questions go, let me give you give me a second. This is not exactly Zoom. Is not exactly adapt, well adapted adapted to phones. But let me give you what I would anticipate would be your quizzes for the midterm. Wait, give me a second here. Sorry, I'm find the spreadsheets folder. There we go. Okay. Files that would be useful for you, in my judgment. Good grief. There's a phone picture that is very scary there. Uh, Let me see. Let me go back here. Okay. Bond calculations. Now, there are two of those in the spreadsheets file uh, folder in Canvas. You can use either one, the bond calculations enhanced with just a souped up version of bond calculations. Either one should work. Now going on down, you have one loan payments. Guarantee you, I'll do one just like on the, uh, not exactly, but it will be one like on the midterm exam. You're gonna find the payments on a loan. I might also this time ask you to find me the effective rate, which I showed you how to do. We'll do another one if you want on Wednesday. Now the NPV and IRR spreadsheet, no question about it. The questions, the problems will be worded very similar to the way they were on the midterm. And I think I also did those on a quiz as well. Present and future values. And those are just standard stuff. I'm not going to ask you about mutually exclusive projects on the final exam. I decided that was just a little too much. I got a sheet for it, but I, I don't think I will do that. Now, risk and return. The capital asset pricing model is almost easy enough that it's better to just do one like that by uh, just a hand calculator it's just uh the risk-free rate plus beta times the uh expect return to the market minus the risk-free rate but it's there for you stock valuation remember those stock valuation questions like with the horizon value Now, there are a couple of weighted average cost of capital sheets that are available. I can't tell whether I published them or not, but WACC space 1.xlsx is the one that probably would be the best for you to use for the, for the final exam. In my judgment, that's enough quantitative questions. For the final exam. The rule I have is that you have 70, you have um, an hour and 20 minutes. You should be able to get it done in an hour or somewhat more or less an hour. And that gives you time to go back and check your numbers. Now, a little uh, piece of advice on that hang on here. It's the weirdest picture. Someone's, I can't even tell who that is. But anyway. um, Wait. Come on. I'm having a hard time keeping Zoom where I want it. No, don't no, get it. Why am I having such a hard time with this? Well, one way or the other. What was I going to... Oh, oh. On the final exam, Canvas has a nasty little glitch in it, which more than a few of you noticed, with putting decimal places in where you don't want them. Make sure you go back and look at your answers to make sure that they, what is in the answer box is what you want. Remember that when you put in a number in Canvas, you want to, no no commas, no spaces, nothing like that. Yeah, just make sure that you're, what you put in there. When you write in a number, make sure you don't put in, put in any commas or uh, symbols, just the number. And if it's negative, a negative sign, decimal places where you mean them to be. And in general, just go back and check. That was a, a lot like work going through almost 400 exams, finding the answers that were right, but they had a decimal place where it shouldn't have been. And, of course, Canvas has no mercy so there's that. Anyway, now if you uh, make sure you go back through the uh, quizzes and midterm to make sure that I have the answer key, the answers are available to you uh, as well as the questions. If you see one where I've forgotten to uh, disclose, reveal the answers, let me know and it'll just send me an email message and I'll fix it. Other things right off the bat, make sure that you get that. Uh, Wall Street Prep, I'm going in there every couple of days, and I pick up all of the scores that have uh, shown up in my dashboard there, and I move them over to uh, Canvas, your Canvas gradebook. Now, here's how it works one more time, just to make sure you are clear on it. 80% and above, you're certified by Wall Street Prep. That means you get 100% for that part of the course For me, that 5% if you get below 80% you're not certified but you get your score is still uh recorded in that for that assignment section in your grade book so if you got a 70 on the final exam that uh, that excel final exam you wouldn't get certified but you still get a 70 out of 100 in my in the grade book so it's not a complete loss if you don't ACE if you don't get the 80% threshold, but if you do, you're certified and you get 100 out of 100 points from me, regardless of whether it was 100 or 80 or somewhere in between. Okay, that's that. What am I? What am I forgetting? Your math on the final exam, again, that will be very similar to what you saw on the midterm. Although this time I also have gone through bond calculations with you, and I was a little more in depth with free cash flow <laughs> that was different yeah, by all means if you if you want to chat, oh there's my chat. The chat is a little bit weird in uh on a phone in uh, Zoom. And I, sometimes I miss them for a second, but I'll catch it if you've got a question for me. But primarily for this session, I'm just going through these basics with you on Wednesday. We'll meet, there'll be a few preliminary words, and then you will do your course evaluations and then student course evaluations. And then we'll get down to the second and last round of the uh, exam. going uh moving on here in this session especially the focus i want you've gone through that list you've seen the list if you have questions that you would like me to give you of uh from that list of terms 116 terms you can ask those right here right now and i'll clean those up for you also this is a recorded podcast and the recordings are being made to the cloud rather than to my local computer because they eat eat every bit of memory in my uh, Samsung phone here. But what happens is it's processed by Zoom. That takes about four hours and I get a notice it's ready. They give me a link and a password. So what I'll do is as soon as this session is available, I'll put it up as an announcement sometime probably this evening, and I'll say, click on here and use this password to view the Zoom video. So you can relive the dream that was this odd session later tonight or sometime over the weekend to help you along. So this is worth it for you to have this, uh, to ask me questions here and now because they will be on a video. Of, uh on video for you to review and of course you also have my podcasts which are available on my site on Apple iTunes they are now available on YouTube and if you want a transcript so you can follow along the words that is available at rss.com when I gave you the link to that previously if you still don't if you can't find that link just send me an email message and I'll give you the link again But that's kind of a valuable thing because then you have the transcript of what was going on. And it's a pretty good, pretty accurate, doesn't make too many mistakes in transcribing. Okay, your turn. Do you have questions for me? It's all you now. You're on video. So let me know what you have to ask. Question real quick yeah just to make sure that excel crash course is essentially our final right no that's no that's the, the final for excel that's wall street prep's exam at the end of the crash course to be able to certify you in excel okay so we take another final in class then well that that's just the, the Excel. Yeah, you're taking the real actual final exam of FIL240 in class on Tuesday. I can't remember the time of it, but yeah, that's the final exam. That when they call that a final, that's just their certification test to say you are now certified to be able to say that you know Excel. Okay. All right, sounds good. Thank you. Yeah. Are you still doing office hours this week? Oh, yeah, I, I, you know, I'm I'm there tomorrow. I just couldn't be there tomorrow today because I am in a hospital. But no okay. you know, if it's any comfort to, you, I, I didn't die. But if it's any comfort to you, it hurt like hell. You are in my prayers. No, don't worry about that. I mean, if you, it, it, Every time I bring the Lord down, he starts asking uncomfortable questions, and so uh, I tend to wait. I'm going to wait for the lap, the final exam on that one, which I've tried to put off a few years by being here. But thank you anyway. But yeah, um, but yeah, I, I mean, my office hours are the rest of the. I'm there on Tuesdays and Thursdays officially from eleven to uh, to uh, what twelve thirty. But unofficially, I'm in my office on Wednesdays and Fridays too, from about 10:30 until noon or something like that. So just swing by, and if you have if you have something to ask me about, uh, uh, I'm in there. Or obviously, you can email me if it's something that's really major. I once in a while will entertain a Zoom session if it's for a couple of people. Yeah. I'm available. I'm here for you. In in spirit, in in video, if not in person. Ask me questions. Are we doing our attendance quiz today? No, that's on Wednesday. Wednesday. Oh, okay. Yeah, on Wednesday. Wednesday. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. No, worries. i going to back. Well, here's that feedback is really weird. Okay, here's here's what's going on. Uh, the first thing we'll do in class on Wednesday is uh, the attendance quiz. I'll give you know about five ten minutes after the hour, and then that'll take you all of about two to two minutes. And then I'll uh, ish, give out the student evals. And of course, I have to leave the room while you're doing those. I'll do that for about 10 minutes, give you about 10, 15 minutes. And then when I come back in, we're just going to hit the ground and do another review session. That review session, I will probably focus more on those spreadsheets because I can put them up on the overhead and all of that. But you can also obviously ask me more questions about definitions or concepts or something like that, too. So, yeah. Cool. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Ask me questions. Could you kind of go through some of the lingo that you talk about that's not in the textbook, like bid ask, um, going long, all that stuff? Give me specifics. I get a little bit confused with bid ask. Bid ask. Yeah. Okay, the bid and the ask. When I buy a share of stock, the price I will pay for it is the ask. If I am selling stock, the price I will get for my sale is the bid. So, for example, if I have a stock where the bid is, let's say, $98 and the ask is $99, let's say I buy a round lot. That means 100 shares. So if I were to sell that stock... I would get the bid, $98 times 100, or $9,800. However, if I want to buy that stock, one round lot, 100 shares, I would pay the ask, 99. So I would pay $9,900. The bid is always going to be lower than the ask. Sometimes it's a lot lower. Sometimes it's a little lower, but the difference is that in order for uh, the broker to want to play, if you want to sell that broker or something, he's going to want you to sell it to him at a cheap, on the cheap. And then when he sells it again, he wants to sell it to someone else at a higher price. So on your end, you're going to sell at a low price and you're going to buy at the high price. You got that? Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I'm glad you brought that up. I will have one of those stock screens, just like on the midterm. I'll have one of those on the final. Same question, same basic questions too. What else we got? I don't know why this Zoom keeps going to car mode? Are you sure will you want to talk while you're driving? Well, no, I'm not driving. Okay. What else have we got? Has the bandwidth of for crude oil changed, or is it um to About it. Thank you for see. If you ask me something, and I say I, I'm not going to ask ask on the file, I'll tell you. I'm not going to ask about it this time. Oil is too darn volatile right now, and it's going to get worse because there's talk uh, that I mentioned before, the war premium. It looks like there's an interest in putting more of a war premium on stock right now because there's uh, more possibility of disruptions of oil supplies coming out of the Middle East with the idiot Houthis blowing things up and iran behind it we could get into a more serious conflict and that would cause disruptions in oil supplies especially there are a couple of straits that are controlled by the bad guys through which the oil travel. a lot of oil tankers go and so that's a little bit tricky right now so the oil prices may be going up so i pretty much don't dare ask anything because it might be changed, the oil price might be different by the day of the final. Okay, what else you got there? Oh. Give me a minute here. Uh, okay. okay, what else? Will there be questions regarding like certain financial statements, like income statement, balance sheet? Um... Not exactly. I, I, I was kind of on the fence about that. My concern with asking those questions is that this is is not an accounting course. Obviously, we have to use accounting information, but I'm a little bit dodgy about going too much into it. Now, I might very well ask you something like, what's the difference between accounting profit and economic profit? More specifically, what's the difference between accounting costs and uh, financial uh, costs that a finance person would be interested in? Those kinds of questions that are not looking at the technical numbers of the accounting statements, that's for the accounting classes to do, but more about what is the behind these uh, numbers and where are the concerns we have that are not shared by accountants, that kind of thing, especially about costs and such things as that. Okay. What else have we got? There are a couple things in the chat. Someone put, How do you know? How do you input the data for the free cash flow analysis when there's 100% bonus depreciation? I forget to look at the chat because it doesn't come up automatically on this phone. Uh, Apologies for that. Okay. The 100% depreciation, that's just how the book did it. And I mean, I could make it a lot harder, but all you're just saying is that look, whatever salvage value you get, you depreciated away all the depreciation the first year. So in other words, if I spend uh, do a capital expenditure of $100,000, well, normally you would take uh, $10,000 away every year. With bonus depreciation, it's easy. All you do is just take away all of the expense the first year so that at the end, the salvage value, let's say you end up with a salvage value of $75,000. Well, since there's no book value, you're going to be taxed on all $75,000 because it was 100% depreciated that first year. So there is no uh, salvage minus book. is just salvage value, and that's all exposed to tax at the end. So that 100% bonus depreciation, It should, in that sheet that I gave you, it should automatically say, well, what was the purchase price? Okay, that's how much we depreciate the first year, 100%. So that means that there's no book value at the end because all the book value was depreciated at the very beginning. So the entire salvage value is going to end up being taxed at the company's tax rate at the end. So in other words, that $100,000, okay, all of it was depreciated away the first year. So now when you, let's say at the end, you sell that that stuff for $75,000, okay, you technically you take salvage minus book to get and to calculate that's how much you, you are, are taxed on. But if there's no book, then you're just taxed on the entire salvage value, $75,000 times 21% or 25%, whatever you're uh, you're supposed to use. So in other words, your after-tax salvage value is, with 100% uh, bonus depreciation, going to be uh, $75,000 minus zero or $75,000 minus minus zero, or seventy-five thousand dollars minus. of $75,000. It's better to do this on a board, on the whiteboard than it is on a zoom session. But basically it just means that when you figure out what tax you pay on the salvage value, the tax is going to be 21% of the, how much you sell it for. So the after tax salvage value is a salvage value minus the tax on the salvage value. Did that make it make any sense at all? I think I lost someone. Okay, covenants. Someone's asking about covenants. That's just a that's a fancy word for the terms and conditions of a contract. Now, when a company borrows money, issues bonds, the lender. The bond buyers and the company, the lender, the bond issuer, will have will have a contract drawn up. That's called the indenture agreement. All of those parts of that agreement are the covenants. Who's borrowing? Who is lending? What's the interest rate? How many years? Who is overseeing the bond? The lender's interest. On the board, board of directors, what happens if there this happens or that happens? Where do we? Uh, where does the company send its bond? Its coupon payments. All of those are the covenants of the bond, indenture agreement. Now, the term covenants is actually just it's any contract. Contracts are more or less a collection of covenants that constitutes the loan agreement or whatever contract it is. So in our case, the covenants are merely for a bond indenture agreement, the who's, the uh, how much is, the what interest rates, and all of those many details that will make it so that the lenders will be willing to lend money to the borrower. That's what the covenants are. So actually, if you've ever bought a car, you fill out, you signed papers, that was the that was the indenture agreement. One of those documents was, some of them are state required documents. But the covenants were all those things that you saw in that you probably, like me, don't read it all. Those are the covenants. When you rent an apartment, that you sign a document that's got all these paragraphs, those are the covenants. Okay, fill or kill. number 106 on the list. Okay, you are my broker, and I am going to buy stock. Let's say that I decide I want to buy Microsoft. I can say, Hi, buy MSF one round lot MSFT. Well, they just buy them, whatever the price was. But I could say, I want you to buy MSFT at 120 or better, fill or kill. In that case, they would go into the, they would go out and they would try to buy 100 shares at $420 or low. If they can't, then immediately the order is killed right there. You could also say good for the day or good till canceled. Those are other ways. But if you just say fill or kill, that means they try, and if they don't succeed on their first pass, then your order is canceled right there. So that's a fill or kill. And like I said, there are other ones you could do, like good for the day. In other words, if you can get filled by the end of the day, great. Otherwise, once the bell dings, for it's 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 canceled. Or you can even say good for three days or something like that. So, but fill or kill means you try. If you can't right now, then walk away from it. Forget it. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, well, when would I do that? Suppose that I'm thinking that Microsoft is going to have a little dip for a few minutes, and then it's going to go through the roof. Okay, I call and I say, fill or kill. That means don't even try it if you can't do it the first time, because otherwise we're just going to sit here and waste our time. You got it? Good, yeah, thank you, okay. Internally and externally generated equity. Fancy names, okay, internally generated equity is what the company makes in revenue that that ends up in the retained earnings. In other words, uh, I, I sold $1,000 worth of stuff, I paid all these bills, paid my taxes, and there's $10 left over Well, that's mine. That's internally generated equity. I earned that. Now, externally generated equity is if I went out and I sold some stock to someone. Well, they become owners, equity, but I generated their funds, that capital, from external sources. So in other words, a company ideally lives off its internally generated equity. And the only time it would go out to externally generate equity is if it has some ginormous project and it needs to raise a bunch of money, it could sell stock to do it. Okay. Bourse. That's a a European word for an exchange. So the New York Stock Exchange and the Zurich Bourse exchange or uh, the, the Berlin Bourse or something like that, that or the Paris Bourse, those would be European versions of our exchanges. It's just a difference in the term that you use. And you look more international if you call them what they are instead of saying, they'll, they'll know what you mean if you say an exchange, but they, they, they use the term Bourse in other countries. Well I'm going to go over the topics and that'll be on Wednesday. Uh just you should know these uh, the list gives you the specifics but I will go through more of a topical list as one of those first things after all the other stuff on Wednesday you should know how to calculate the yield and the price of a bond. You should be able to know uh you should be able to calculate a payment on a loan and calculate the effective yield on the loan. You should be able to use the capital asset pricing model to calculate the expected return to a uh, stock or to a portfolio. You should know the difference between accounting costs and and, and economic finance costs. I'll go through a, a little bit broader list briefly on uh, Wednesday we go on here That's about where it is. What else you got? God It looks like a Yeti. Anyway, what else? That's late as it's been today. Ah, Wait, got a couple more. Oh. Well, the final exam is mandatory the that excel thing is completely that's just one of the things you do in the course that's just one like your gauge homework it's just one of the requirements that you have to meet it's five percent of the score one thing i do want to i i can't remember if i already said this on the um, excel crash course you go through you do that if you get an 80%, uh, Wall Street Prep has a final that, where they test your comprehension, your ability to handle Excel. And on that little exam of theirs, if you get an 80% or above on that, you get certified. You get a certification. It shows up on your LinkedIn. You can use it in your resume as, and you've got a certificate number and all that. So 80%. Now, if you get that certificate, 80% or better what i give you is 100% for that 5% of the course the excel crash course is 5% of the course so if you get a cert- anything from an 80 up to 100 you get 100 out of 100 points from me if you get below the 80 you don't get a cert- you don't get certified but whatever points you did get on that excel crash course final you get uh i put those in your book for that a 5% of the assignment, 5% assignment. So if you got a 70, you wouldn't get certified, but you'd still get 70 out of 100 for the Excel assignment in that part of the the course, for the Excel crash course part of the course. So that keeps it from being a, a wholesale disaster if you can't reach the 80%. Almost everyone is so far and there's, I have to go through, and every two days, and probably it will have to be every day from now on, I go in and collect up the scores in Wall Street Prep for my dashboard there and take them over and put them into that 5% assignment in the course. Now, one thing that I wanted to point out, and I, I think it, there's a, mis, uh, a typo or a wrong thing in the syllabus. As far as your in-class quizzes go, I drop your lowest three. I think it says in the syllabus, I drop the lowest two, but it's, I drop the lowest three of your in-class quizzes. Unless you want me to drop only two, let me know here in the chat if that's what you prefer. Okay, anyway, enough of that. Three is good, three is perfect. You think so, okay, okay. I'm a little surprised by you saying that, but okay. <laughs> Just please. Okay, now, 10K, 10Q, 8K. Now, the Ks and Qs. Every three months, every quarter, every public company, and that is hundreds of thousands, must file a document with the SEC. It has parts, it has the quarters, quarterly financial statements for that quarter. It has all this other information for that quarter. At the end of every fiscal year of a company, they have to bring all of the Qs, the 10 Qs together in a comprehensive annual filing. That's a monster document. I've shown it to you in class. I mean, it's just like everything that's happened in the company all year long. That document that they file with the SEC is called the 10-K. So the Qs are the quarterlies, quarterly financials and quarterly results and all that. The Ks are the annuals, the ones that are the whole year previous. Now, the 8-K is a different animal. The 8-K is a filing that has to be made whenever there is a non-recurring event, something that's unusual. Like if the CEO is fired, the company would be required to file an 8K with the SEC, which would then be available for everyone in the world to see. If a company uh, had some kind of uh, acquisition of another company, there'd be a lot of filings, but one of them would be uh, an 8K that would say, the agreement to acquire this company has been completed. Even if a company puts out a press release that's in any way material, it has to file an 8K. This is one of those things when I was a consultant, I'd have these small public corporations, they'd put out these... I think you're muted right now. Professor Quinn, you're muted right now. I said something in a statement that is material. So the A K is a, a filing uh, uh, disclosure of a non-recurring event, something important that has happened to the company that is in the interest of the world, the investment community of the world to know about. So that's the AK. The frontier of efficient investments is that arc that I drew on the board showing that no matter what stock you buy or what portfolio you hold, There is a boundary. There will never be a stock or a portfolio that is above a certain risk to return level. In other words, on the horizontal axis is the standard deviation, total risk. On the vertical axis is the return. We find that there is no place where you can find a stock that has too high has more than a certain return for the standard deviation, the risk. Up, no matter where you look on the uh, where you look, that place where you don't find any stocks or portfolios above it is called the frontier of efficient investments. No portfolio is above it. In fact, the only portfolios that would be even theoretically on that frontier would be world portfolios where you held everything in one balance or another. Okay, diversifiable risk is non-systematic risk. If it's diversifiable, it's not in the system. It's non-systematic. If it's non-diversifiable, In other words i can't get rid of it it is systematic it is in the system the example i give uh and i say i did one like this you have a pimple on your nose well that is not inside of you it's on the outside we can get rid of it it is non-systematic we can diversify away from it we can cut it off you but if you have a nodule in your liver well that's the uh, that's more a part of your system that, that we that's not something we can just make it go away in other words diversifiable risk you just buy a bunch of stocks and that risk cancels the the stocks individual ups and downs their their peculiar risks cancel each other out it's the same thing with a choir when when people are singing together one person will have a lot of weird sounds and odd things. But if you put a bunch of people together, they cancel out each other's uh, accidents and you have the underlying system of it. So non-diversifiable risk, the risk you can't get rid of, is the system. Diversifiable risk is a risk that isn't in the system you can make it go away if you just buy more stocks that cancel each other out, as far as their peculiarities go. So, in other words, you have stocks like Microsoft. It actually has a lot of standard deviation of returns. But when you put it into a well-diversified portfolio, it kind of quiets, it quiets down a lot. And it's it's like a pussycat. It's very much like people. Left to their own devices, people aren't all that predictable. They go kind of crazy sometimes. But when you put people together, then their behaviors are much more the system kind of thing. That, that's the best way I could do it. So, for example, Tesla. Tesla. Which is insanely volatile, but unfortunately it's still pretty rough, even when it's put with other stocks. Now remember that beta measures systematic risk, not the total risk. So if I look at a beta, I have to know that, okay, that, that's a, that's a safe stock. Well, yeah, but that's telling us that it is a very safe stock in a well-diversified portfolio because that's not measuring all of its ups and downs. It's measuring, beta measures just the ups and downs. It would have, once all of its weird stuff, its peculiar stuff, its standalone risk was put, that was quieted down. What else have we got? Oh, mother's work is never done. Yeah, when you yeah go ahead. When you were talking about the accounting profit and the economic profit, were you just saying in how it was recorded, like in dollars or percentages, or does that mean something else? It means something else completely. You see, accounting profit says, how much, how much revenue did you put on your books? And how much cost do you have receipts for? You take the difference and you get your profit. In finance, we say you can't do that because, I mean, I can make $1,000 at a show That's accounting revenue. But if I said four hundred dollars of that people can pay over time, I really took in only six hundred dollars. And as far as at costs go, in account in accounting, they look at receipts. What has happened in dollars and cents. In finance, which is a branch of economics, we say. Those are historical costs. That's the first thing. And the second thing is, you don't look at opportunity cost. It's like the guy I knew many years ago, he built a television from a kit. It cost him only, at the time, about $300 for this ginormous TV back in that. You know, the, that was a different era. But and he was bragging he kept a log of how many. You have muted yourself again, Professor Kringer, You're muted. What we in finance have to talk about. Accounting profit doesn't tell us anything. <laughs> and take replacement cost. Well, on the you can look at the book value of well this this this, uh, this, this machine. We uh, we paid two thousand dollars for it. There it is, right there on the balance sheet, two thousand dollars. How much would it cost if you had to replace that machine right now? It wouldn't be that. It would be more than that. So we have to talk about things like replacement costs, opportunity cost, the, all these indirect costs, and most importantly, future expected costs. We don't live in history. We live in what's going to happen next. And the value of the corporation isn't what it has already done. It's what it's going to do next. Wait. OBV, unbalanced volume. I showed you these stock screens a bunch of times and I said, Well, look down here. Volume today was on this stock was five million two hundred thousand shares. And the fifty two week average was five million five hundred thousand shares. So it's had a little less volume today than it did overall on an average day over the last year. That is that volume is on balance volume. The stock buys and sells of that stocks buys and sells on the books on the open interest balance sheet of the, all the brokers in the country. However, There are many stock transactions, and more and more all the time, that are going through what we call the dark markets. They are not on any broker's sheet. So, in other words, the on balance volume, on the balance uh, open book, uh, open book balance uh, books of all the brokers added together, was 5.2 million, but. There could have been another couple of million that happened of buys and sells that happened in the dark markets. We don't see those. There are ways that we can find out what they are, but that number you see on that those screens that I show you, that's OBV. That is not including what's happening in the back channels. Okay. Now, risk pooling, this is the diversification. You'll you'll see risk pooling is in insurance. If I insure one person, healthcare costs can go up, insanely down, up, down. However, if I start putting a bunch of people together, then when one person is sick, the other is well, and all of that, and the more people I put together, the more they cancel out each individual's whipsaws. And so, what eventually I get is, if I put enough people together, I get an underlying cost of the system. Of how much does the population that I'm insuring cost? Not what in, uh, any in- individual. So that's risk pooling. It's obviously an insurance. One place you see it, and I think I mentioned this, is that small cities and towns will get together and they will create their own risk pool so that they cover, if any town has a loss, then they all help cover. So that means that there is this risk pooling going on so that when one town has a problem, the other towns are fine. Then another ha- town has a problem the next year but the other towns are fine so in other words they're canceling out each other's individual risks and creating an overall pool that represents the risk of the group instead of the risk of an individual city within the group that's risk pooling it's a whole basis of insurance and it's a whole basis of stock purchases It's, and in some ways, it's the whole basis of an economy where we have people do different things. And so the risks in one area are balanced out by the risks in another area. And in some ways, this is something that's a big problem in universities, which are now focusing more and more on these high powered business degrees and engineering and science degrees. And yeah, well, that's where the money is. That's where the jobs are. And they are killing off fine arts and uh, social sciences and history and all uh, anthropology and all that. They're killing themselves with their obsession with focusing the risk pool. They're cutting down on the diversification. You follow that? Okay. Getting close to it. Let's see what we got. Whew. Goodness. Okay. The piano man is apparently started up again. So I'm going to call this one now. And what we'll do is we will pick this up together again on Wednesday. But again, I have my office hours tomorrow. So come on by if you want to, or send me email message if you have a quick question or two. But other than that, I greatly appreciate everything you've done to put up with this little glitch in at the most inopportune time. But that's all I have for you today. I greatly thank you for your time being with me. Be gone.